Joel Green likes to say, one of the great Luke scholars, he says, you know, that we can't understand Jesus without the scriptures, and we can't understand the scriptures without Jesus. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I know we have a few fishing experts in the congregation, uh, so we'll, you know, hear your stories another time. We've, we've heard your stories. Um, but uh, my fishing stories aren't very many, but I do have really, really good memories of the few times in my life where there's been just moments or minutes or hours between catching the fish and eating the fish. So these, have just because it's been so few, I mean, I grew up in the, on the Great Plains and, and I have even fewer lakes where I'm from than we have here. Uh, I feel like here I'm surrounded by water. We might as well be living uh, on the coast, uh, being in Sweetwater, because we have lakes all over the place. But where I'm from, it's like a little stream. We're like, oh, wow, there's a raging river just north, you know, a few miles. So we, did, we don't really catch a lot of fish. But um, the times that I have, I, it always involved a community. There was always the, I remember the smells, and I remember what it was like. I remember when my uncle would take me fishing, and we would drive, you know, and he would take me, and he'd show me the stuff, and we'd just sit there all day and fish together. And if we caught anything, he would fix, and we'd eat them together. And I remember uh, in Kansas when Grandma and Granddaddy lived there for about 10 years, and there were some ponds. They called them ponds there. And one time my cousin Clint and I caught some fish, and we were so excited, and Grandma humored us. You know, they were probably these tiny little fish, and she fried them up for us, you know, and we just felt like we were providing for the family, you know. Um, and then uh, I remember, I'll never forget, backpacking with my friend Josh. And we're, we're up, in, uh, up by Elk Creek, Colorado, and we've been hiking a couple of days, and we took our fly rods with us and these tiny little streams. And one night we caught these little brook trout and a really tiny little fish. But, you know, again, we we're like, hey, this would be great to have some meat. So we, I still can smell and taste like the, basically it was fried skin is what we were eating, a tiny little fish. But, but it was the smells of a campfire and fish and good friends and very vivid memories, very good memories, always that great community aspect. So I love this story. I love this story that Luke tells us that we heard today. I mean, this has to be, for me, this is one of the best questions in the Bible, all right? Jesus is appearing among the disciples after dying and then rising from the dead. <clears throat> the disciples think they've seen a ghost, and they're scared to death. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, y'all got anything to eat in here? <laughs> Right. What a great question from the Son of God. You know, it really is. The question in the Greek is more, it's like, is there anything edible in this house? Can we, is there anything you have to offer me to eat? You know? And so they take a piece of roasted fish and they give it to Jesus. He takes the fish. He eats the fish in front of them. He has just orchestrated and participated in the greatest miracle in the history of the world. And he shows up among his friends like a guy who was late for supper. You know, and they saved him a plate. That's just the most ordinary thing that you can imagine. You've been long days work and you come in late, it's after dark, and we saved a plate for dad, you know. That's kind of the ordinary texture that this story carries. The resurrected son of God, fulfilling his promise to the frightened disciples, appears in this most ordinary fashion. 
And by doing so, he gathers the scared and scattered disciples together in the most familiar and ordinary of settings, the kitchen table. Luke tells us that the disciples at this time were still disbelieving with joy, right? Have you ever been there? They're disbelieving with joy. They're going, this would be great if this was true, but I don't know. Are we sure this is not a ghost? It's, I mean, are we sure it would be great if these things are true? But if we really, I mean, this is a little crazy, right, that Jesus would be here because we just saw him over there and we remember the whole deal. Okay. So Jesus calmly responds to their bewilderment by eating whatever they had to offer in the house, in this case, some roasted fish. So this text is, um, this is Easter evening. So this is the end of the day on Easter day. And uh, Luke tells a story right before this, the first resurrection appearance that we get, uh, these, these folks who are traveling to a little town, a little village called Emmaus. And there's two of them, and they're walking along, and they don't recognize Jesus, and he's walking along with them. He follows them home, and they invite him in for supper, and they eat. And, and as he's breaking the bread as a guest at their dinner table, they recognize, oh, this is Jesus. And they look at each other and go, man, weren't our hearts burning when he was telling us the story? Because they were like, man, have you not heard? Like, we're all dejected and depressed because we had put all of our hopes in this guy, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and then he was just tragically killed and we've lost hope and we're just going home and uh, so they they're just discussing this so then these two uh, disciples that meet Jesus on the road they've gone back to tell all the disciples in Jerusalem they're gathered together going you guys have got to we got to tell you what we just saw and what just happened and of course as they're getting into their story as they're discussing these things as so often happens to us you know as we're talking about Jesus Jesus just shows up he just happens to show up. There's a few people gathered in his name, and here he is, post-resurrection, and here he comes. Jesus is there, and he says to them, peace to you, exclamation point, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. And so he goes on to assuage their fears. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? You can see my hands and my feet. It is me. You can touch and see for yourself. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So peace, when Jesus says peace be with you, you know, this is like our, our old school, you know, when we sometimes do this, we pass the peace, or we used to have like the meet, we'd call it the meet and greet time in church, which is like a watered down version of the peace. We're passing, we're sharing the peace of Jesus Christ. We're basically, as Jesus came in and offered peace to his frightened disciples, we offer peace to one another. We say the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. And it's a great way to exchange what we're hoping happens for every one of us as we gather in worship. Because when Jesus said peace be with you, He's carrying all those Jewish traditions. And really, this word peace, this idea of peace, shalom in Hebrew, means just kind of general well-being. It's like if you could just, I wish the best for you and your family that I could, I can't even have enough words for it. So I'm just going to say shalom, peace. Peace be to you and your household and your family. And so that's what Jesus says to them. And um, also in Luke's context, when we see the word peace like this, it also, it carries this, these tones of salvation. It's, it's like saying salvation be yours, salvation be experienced by you and your family. Because again, remember, they were, they were staked all their hopes on Jesus. They, uh, they thought that all of their hopes for Israel, for God's people, were buried in the tomb. 
that they were over, that this was not going to be the story they thought it was. And so uh, Jesus comes in and says, peace, and it's like we're back in the game. You know, we're, it's, it's, it's on again. And Jesus is back, and then they're going, okay, so there's hope again for Israel. Maybe God will restore his people. Maybe he will, rem- will remember us in our chaos, and he will bring peace to our lives. And so it's a, a commendation of salvation. If you, if you follow Jesus to the cross and you die with Jesus, this is the part where you get to be raised with Jesus. So it's the full, there's two parts of salvation. There's, there's not only the, the death and the crucifixion and the forgiveness of sins, but there's also the being raised to new life that we might live both in this life and in the life to come. So Jesus says, peace be with you, and that's, that's the, this whole gamut. And so I'm asking as we're reading through this story this week, how does Jesus bring peace through the resurrection? Uh, because we, that's what we want. This is a great thing that we would all want. This is Christ to bring us peace during this season of resurrection. It's very common. Uh, just like with Christmas, we build up and have all this anticipation for Easter Sunday, and then we just go back to business as usual. And so it's great that built into our church calendar, we have the great 50 days of Easter. We have six or seven weeks here where we get to sort of trot out these resurrection themes and figure out what does it mean that Jesus is raised from the dead? What does that mean for my day-to-day life, for your day-to-day life, for our life together? What is that going to look like? Uh, how, is our, how is my life different? How is your life different today because Jesus has been raised from the dead? So these are great questions we're asking ourselves in this time. So Jesus brings us peace through the resurrection. Uh, first of all, just like he did his disciples, he, he's been revealed to us. He's not hiding from us. There's the mystery of the gospel, but Jesus has revealed himself to us, right? He's there. He's saying, look, you can see. I have, I, this is my scars. This is my resurrected body. And, I, you know, I could, could have healed all this and made this look different, but I'm carrying these scars uh, to my resurrected state, and I'll ascend to the throne of God. And he's bringing us in with all of our scars and saying, you can see me, and this is really me. And then, of course, he condescends to just eat some fish. <laughs> it wasn't like Jesus was hungry. He's already been resurrected. But he's just doing the most ordinary thing with them and saying, hey, it's really me. You can trust me. You know, if I, wasn't, if I was just a ghost, I wouldn't be sitting here eating this fish. Now, would I? And so it's very gracious that Jesus is that way to the disciples, and he's the same way for us. Certainly made known to us in the church uh, through Holy Communion and the ways that we share uh, the life of Christ together. And then he opens all the mysteries to us by sharing, us, uh, sharing the scriptures with us, just like he shares the scriptures with uh, his disciples here. You know, he says, hey, these are the things that all these words that I spoke to you while I was with you, and then everything that was written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and I never saw this before, but since we just studied the Psalms, it caught my attention. Everything that was written about me in Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. And Jesus says, everything that's written about me there, you, um, it's been fulfilled. So thanks be to God. And here we are, all that anticipation. And, and I'm here. So Jesus, Luke says that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that great? That's what Jesus does for us. That's one of the ways that, that Jesus brings us peace is by opening our minds to understand the scriptures. Because it doesn't matter how smart we are or how educated we are or how much information we have or how many books we have on our shelves, uh, we can't understand the scriptures unless Jesus opens our minds to understand the scriptures. So that's why we pray before we read scriptures and some sort of prayer of illumination. And that's why we pray as we're reading and after we read. And Lord, open my mind, open my heart to understand. Joel Green likes to say, one of the great Luke scholars, he says, you know, 
that we can't understand Jesus without the Scriptures, and we can't understand the Scriptures without Jesus. So it's a mutually informing circle that we're always in. We're understanding more about Jesus as we're reading the Scriptures, and we're understanding the Scriptures more as we get to know Jesus. So this is how, is how it works as we read and, and we relate to Jesus in all the ways that we do. So, through hearing the Word of God and paying attention to Jesus, we experience resurrection life in our everyday life. And then finally, the way that Jesus um, brings us peace is through this incredible emphasis on that there's a gospel, there's something that we're asked to live and then to share that is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we, as we learn what that means and we really try that on and we say, gosh, if this is true, then there is a real forgiveness for sin. And if there's a forgiveness of sins, then that means for us, we're going to be a liberated and free people. And again, this is that whole Israel story. And just like you can think back through all through the Old Testament, there's all these references to three days and the third day. You got Jonah being saved from the whale on the third day, right? He's there three days. Uh, you've got all these emphasis in Hosea. You have a three-day thing going on. And all this anticipation. And now... Uh, there's a chance for us to uh, get in on this, on this forgiveness that's been anticipated all along in the whole story of Israel. So Jesus is, in, in fulfilling that, he's saying there's a real forgiveness of sins now, and as you experience that, as you are healed, as you experience peace, you're going to be wanting to share this with others because uh, it's a kind of freedom and liberation that you, you've never experienced before. And we always tell the stories, you know, about how our ancestors were saved from Pharaoh and came through the Red Sea and they were saved, they were rescued, and we say, gosh, wouldn't it have been neat to be there for that? And we're all the while experiencing that very thing. All the things that oppress us while we were slaves in Egypt we're being set free from those things through the cross. And then as Jesus is raised from the dead, we're being raised to new life. We're getting in on these realities. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, look, if, if the dead are not going to be raised, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, because it was common in those days, and it's common today to say, well, this whole miracle, the resurrection thing, I mean, I believe in God, and I like to have my little thing with God and whatever, but I don't really... I'm not really on board with this whole resurrection thing. I mean, that seems kind of crazy. And, and it's natural because you can't believe that just with enough data. There's never going to be enough data to make you believe in the resurrection because it's, it's wild. It's audacious. The claims are unbelievable. But when we have grace to believe and we realize, you know, it's worth it. Because if this is true, this is a game changer. And, and this is what I want. So it was common then to, for people to doubt that too. And Paul reminds the church, he says, look, enough of this talk about Maybe it's not that big a deal that Jesus is not raised from the dead. He said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead in 1 Corinthians, then we are to be pitied above all people. We're fools. Like if, we're, if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we bet on the wrong horse and we're in big trouble. And so Paul just kind of sets us straight there and reminds us, and it's such a huge thing that we carry that Jesus has brought us life in this way. 
And so uh, Jesus leaves his disciples with these words, and he says, look, this is all happening like it's supposed to, and I'm here, and I know you're excited, and it's great because while they're disbelieving with joy, this is like my new favorite thing, we're disbelieving with joy, uh, while they're doing that, it's like, is this, this seems too good to be true, but if it's true, that, that's pretty great. So it's like you're disbelieving while you're hanging on to your joy, and of course, in the story of the disciples, that disbelieving part goes away, and, and they're, they're getting ready for launching the church. And Jesus says, you're witnesses now. Y'all are the witnesses of these things. Because, of course, they're asking, well, Jesus, you've been talking about the whole world, and you said it would be all the nations, and you said you love the whole world, but here we are stuck in our little old Jerusalem, and we, you're gone now. Like, how are we going to get the word out? And Jesus says, it's going to be y'all. It's going to be the church. And it's going to start here in Jerusalem, and it's going to just going to resound to the whole world, ends of the earth. This is big stuff, and you all are my witnesses. Um, and then we'll get to what he says later. We'll talk about that at Pentecost. But um, this is how he leaves them. And so over the next couple of weeks, I just want to spend some time looking at these ordinary ways that Jesus' resurrection sort of um, funds our life in Christ, how we live differently because of the resurrection, what we can expect. It's very ordinary. And... Through the resurrection, we learn that Jesus is present in our favorite class of the semester. Jesus is present in that complex relationship at work. Jesus is present in figuring out what this weird tax year is going to mean as you sit down with your accountant. Jesus is present when you say, when did I become a grandparent all of a sudden? These things that we notice and speak to, the resurrection is present. Some of these places we encounter resurrection life is just barrels of fun, all joy. And then other places we meet this life-giving news and reality in the midst of incredible pain and challenge. I want to share a story um, about a, a family that I grew up around. They were a family in our church, in a little sm small-town church where I grew up. And they were those people that just were very patient. You know, you don't realize until later what sainthood happens with church folks being patient with us. Uh, and we've all been there. We all remember what we were like. And um, I was, you know, the times I was a brat and all that stuff, and this family just loved us. They loved us through the whole deal. And I'm convinced that, that their prayers had something to do with me eventually responding to a call to follow Jesus at all. And I think uh, that these kind of humble prayers, this is how it works. And so don't be discouraged if you're one of those people that find yourself praying for uh, all of us that are running around and still need to grow up in the church, that uh, your, your prayers do not go unanswered. And this family, um, the, the husband of this family a few years ago was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and so he's been living with that reality, and their family, as, as many of you have been through, is living with that reality and that disease. And the neurodegeneration has been very slow, and it's been long, and as it often is, and this family has navigated it with a whole lot of grace. Most recently, um, this man is, has been convinced each day that there's a trip that he has to take. You know, he needs to get ready to go on a trip because he's got things to take care of. And this is a guy of utmost competence. You know, it's always fixing things, always building things, always doing, always able to take care of his family. And now he's convinced he's got somewhere to go and to continue this kind of work. And this is kind of a new thing. And so the family decided after they noticed that that's what he was wanting to do, they figured out a way each day 
they let him load his pickup. So he, he gets his stuff like he's going to go somewhere, and he loads his pickup. And then they kind of shepherd him back throughout his day. And after he goes to bed, the family goes and takes all the stuff out of the pickup, and they bring it back inside so he can do it all over again the next day. Oh. I think the resurrection of Jesus is present in moments like these. The resurrection of Jesus is present in the love that is shown and shared in these moments. And also, the resurrection of Jesus is present in these moments in the promise of eternal life. This is where we figure out if we really mean it when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, the renewal and a new mind. It's worth meditating on. It's worth thinking about that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so just want to ask what challenging situation you or your family or close friend may be facing right now this Easter season and wonder how the resurrection life can meet you there and how Jesus might meet you where you are and offer hope for life that begins now and life that carries on in the future when just like Jesus, we are raised from the dead. So I invite you to plan on it. Stake your hope on it. And let it shape your life today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.